reading from Acts 12:25 to 13:12. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed there from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There, they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul was an, intel an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. This is God's word. Hi, everyone. I'm Scott. I'm the student minister um, here. I don't just get to read the bands, but I also get to, um, to preach the Bible, um, which is a wonderful privilege. So let's pray as we, uh, as we turn to God's word together. Heavenly Father, we do praise you that your word is powerful. It is powerful to turn uh, anyone uh, from uh, death to life, from darkness to light. Father, as we look at this uh, one little episode of, of one person coming uh, to faith in Christ, would you fill us with confidence that you can, you can do that, you are doing that, and you will do that uh, even as we take the gospel out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What should we expect as we seek to take the gospel out? What should we expect to happen as we try and take the gospel out? And in case you weren't paying attention um, to Liz's notices, I know you were, but in case you weren't, um, Liz was telling us about an opportunity later this month, um, or sorry, later, yeah, later next month, beginning of May, around the coronation, um, opportunity to, to explicitly take the gospel um, out, uh, whether that's through um, inviting people here um, to the guest services on that, that May weekend, or um, by going out um, into the parks uh, nearby and, and trying to start conversations about Jesus. Now, depending on, um, on how you feel about those sorts of things, that either um, fills you with, with real excitement, you're like, yes, I love that kind of thing, um, you know, maybe you're part of the Gospel Conversations team, and you love going out and just trying to strike up a conversation uh, and see where it leads. Or, um, for, for, for some of us, that sort of thing will, will terrify us, and we break out in a cold sweat um, just, uh, just thinking about it. That's okay. Um, but what I want to do this evening, uh, using Acts, uh, from Acts 13, is to encourage you to be part 
of the gospel going out. Even if that's something uh, that scares you, even if that's something you wouldn't normally do, to be part of the gospel going out, to have a go. How am I going to do that? Well, I'm, we're first going to look at some stats, and then we're going to look at the Bible, because um, they, they, they both are pointing at the first thing. Okay, the Bible is more important, but let's start with the stats to get them out of the way. Um, uh, if you like stats, who doesn't love stats? Some people. Um, uh, there was a thing called the National Ministry Survey. It happened last year. Um, uh, and uh, you probably can't see that, but we'll, we'll go through some of the, some of the results. It was asking um, uh, people who, who wouldn't normally go to church, wouldn't call themselves Christians, it was sort of asking about their attitudes towards different things. Uh, the reason it's helpful is sometimes, I think, we assume that anyone that we try and share the gospel with, anyone that we try and speak to, um, isn't interested they, they don't want to, they'll be offended if you even mention Jesus, and you know, they'll, they'll sort of stop being your friend almost immediately. Um, but apparently that's not true. So if you can read that, I'm sorry it's so small. People were asked this question, um, would you be comfortable talking about Jesus with different, different people, so family at the top, friends, workmates, acquaintances, neighbors, strangers, would you be comfortable having a conversation about Jesus with one of these um, people? Let's just, let's just take two of the groups. Um, work colleagues, how many percentage of work colleagues that would be comfortable or very comfortable to have a conversation about Jesus with another colleague is almost 40%, 39%. Now, you may think that's not very many, but just think about it. If you're at work this week and you try and have a, a conversation with a work colleague about Jesus every day, maybe over lunch or over coffee, whatever it is, if you try that um, just uh, Monday to Friday with five different people, at least two of those people, according to the stats, two of those people would, would be totally up for having a conversation with you about Jesus. Let's, let's go to the bottom one. Strangers. Okay, think about um, heading out to the park in a few weeks' time, trying to engage with people who you've never met and you probably will not meet again. Now, obviously, that's, that's a bit lower. So 28% of people say, yeah, they'd be happy to talk, comfortable or very comfortable to talk to a complete stranger about Jesus, to have a conversation with a Christian about Jesus. But the great thing about that, you may think, oh, that's not very many. That's only like three in 10. But when you go out to the park, you can have conversations much more quickly. And you can have much more of them. They're not like this colleague that you have to sort of build up to like, oh, you know, like over the water cooler or whatever you have in your office. The people have water coolers, coffee machine, um, free fridge, whatever. Um, you don't have to build up to it. You can just go up to, you can just go up to anybody in the park. And you only have to go to 10 people. You could, you could easily speak to 10 people in an hour, I think. You know, begin to try and have a conversation with 10 people. And three of those people would be totally up for having a conversation with you about Jesus. Okay, those are the stats. Let's get rid of the stats. No more stats. Here's the Bible. Okay, what should we expect as we try and take the gospel out? Okay, maybe, maybe in particular in, in a new way that we haven't done before. We should expect, Acts 13, we should expect that some will oppose us. We need to be realistic about that. Not everyone is going to love it. There will be opposition. But we should also expect others to want to hear and to believe. And that, I hope as we look at it this evening, will fill us with confidence as we try and do that uh, in the next few weeks. So let me try and show you that uh, from Acts 13. Uh, we're, we're back in Acts um, where the gospel has been spreading uh, like wildfire. The, the church is growing. 
um, primarily up to this point through um, Jewish, uh, formerly Jewish uh, people coming to faith, or through Gentiles who are sort of um, interested in Judaism, you know, the sort of people who were in the temple or in Jerusalem uh, around uh, Jewish festivals. The gospel has spread as ordinary Christians have tried to share the gospel wherever God has placed them. And you remember a few weeks back that the Christians had been dispersed by persecution, so they'd had to flee uh, from the authorities. And as they'd done that, they'd taken the gospel uh, with them. That's what's been happening up until now. But here in Acts 13, it's it's, it's a new section in Acts where we're, we're moving from that sort of if you like, accidental spread of the gospel, just happened to go um, out as Christians went, uh, went to different places because they were being persecuted. We f- flip from there to here, the first intentional missionary initiative. Okay, the first time that the church intentionally sends people out to a different location to tell people there about Jesus. It's the same gospel message that they take And it's the same spirit that empowers them to go. But now it is intentionally going out to the ends of the earth. And the responses that that they encounter are the same uh, too. They're the same we have seen all the way through Acts. Some people, they don't want to hear the gospel and they'll oppose it. But others hear it and believe. And that's going to be the encouragement for us as we seek to take the gospel out. So um, the outline's on your handout if it's helpful. We'll see that the gospel must go out. And what do we expect? Well, we expect that it will be opposed by those who are blind, but it will also be believed by those who see. Firstly, then, the gospel must go out. Verse 25, the end of chapter 12. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark, now, at the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So we're back in Antioch, where the church is, is doing brilliantly. Um, it's, it's diverse. It reflects the diversity of the city uh, that it's in. And you can see that just in the background of the leaders. We've got Barnabas, who's from Cyprus, Simeon, who's a black African, Lucius, who's from um, North Africa, Menaean, who's sort of upper class. He grew up with Herod, um, the king. Saul, a Jew from Syria. It's, it's, it's as diverse as it gets. Not only is it diverse, it's, it's effective and growing. People are becoming Christians. The church is growing. There is more and more ministry to do in Antioch. And surely they, they need as many people as they can to do that ministry there. And yet, this church is also being driven by the gospel to go out and take the gospel to new places, to new people. Verse 2. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. See here that the idea to take the gospel out to the ends of the earth, it doesn't start with the church, it starts with God. It is very clearly the Holy Spirit sending them out. And yet, God does that in the context of the church. So the church are part of the setting apart and the sending out of Barnabas and Saul. And it's something that they take seriously. 
Um, it's done, we're told, with fasting and prayer. This isn't just you know, one, one line, oh, please remember to pray for Barnabas and Saul as they head out. No, this is, this is a commitment of the whole church uh, to, to pray for these men. And it's easy for us to think, isn't it? Well, that's just what the early church did. You know, they were just, they were just full of zeal and they, you know, they were always looking to take the, church, the gospel to the ends of the earth. Except up until now, that's, that hasn't really been the case. It, it wouldn't have been easy for them. We can assume that, oh, it was easy back then. It's harder now. No, it would have been hard then too. It would not have been easy for those who were called to go. Because it's always hard to try something new. And it wouldn't have been easy for the rest of the church in Antioch as they, as they send these leaders out. As they send these people who they've done ministry alongside and yet the gospel must go out. So that is why um, we want to take seriously our partnership with um, our mission partners um, as they seek to take the gospel uh, to new places, to new people. Um, so if you hadn't, haven't yet um, stopped and had a, a chat to Edward, our mission partner who's heading back um, to Africa, uh, hopefully later this month, do take the opportunity and if you still haven't, if, if you're still thinking about giving um, financially so that he can go, um, don't delay. That is the only thing holding him back from going. People have got to be sent out um, to reach the ends of the earth. But it's not just um, overseas mission, is it? Um, here, here's my one mention of Wembley Park this evening. I promise it is. I, I think it will be the only one. Um, as people um, join the launch team, um, that is costly, isn't it, for those seeking uh, to reach a new area with the gospel. And it is also costly for the whole church as we send people out, people who will miss, and gaps that will have to be uh, filled. And yet it is the right thing to do, isn't it, to get the gospel out. And so if you'd like to come and pray um, with others um, this evening, we're going to be meeting in the balcony room about eight o'clock after the service. If you'd like to come and pray that the gospel would do just that, the gospel would go out, please do come and join us um, at eight o'clock. It's also, uh, we don't have to go to Wembley, we don't have to go to um, Africa to do that. There are opportunities here, including uh, what we've just been hearing about uh, around the coronation. As you take a risk, maybe, as you do something that you're not comfortable with and, and do something new, it is natural to be nervous to maybe want to find an excuse. Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm busy all of that week, all the evenings. Um, it's easy to fill up the diary, isn't it, so that you don't have to do something that scares you. But let me encourage you to give it a go. The gospel always drives us out to try new things in order that new people would be reached. That's what the church does here. And so Barnabas and Saul are sent out, verse 4. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. So Barnabas and Saul, they go to Cyprus. Why Cyprus? Um, well, Barnabas is from there, so he's probably got some connections. He understands that the language and the culture. It's a good gateway to the rest of, of the Eastern Mediterranean. But we're not actually told why Cyprus. The point is they go they go to take the gospel out. They go to the synagogues first, which seem to be, seems to be Paul's pattern um, all the way through Acts, even as they seek to reach Gentiles um, to speak first to the Jews. 
but they don't stop there. Luke records um, just a few select stories in these big missionary journeys. There must have been lots of um, encounters with lots of individuals, lots of sermons preached, lots of conversations. And yet Luke here chooses to focus on, on just this one to show us, I think, what to expect as we try and take the gospel out. The first thing that we, that we should expect as we read this is that the gospel will be opposed by those who are blind. Verse 6. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Pathos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. Okay, two, two main characters here. Bar-Jesus. Um, his name means son of salvation. He's a Jewish sorcerer, which is a strange combination, and he's a false prophet. He is not a faithful Jew, but someone who has, who has turned to, to magic uh, to make his living. But he is powerful. He's part of the sort of ruling class. We're told he's the attendant to the proconsul. He, he, he's the sort of right-hand man of uh, the, the Roman in charge of the whole island. He's in the inner circle um, of government. I, um, I, I cannot, as I've looked at this this week, I cannot get, um, I basically just picture him as Dominic Cummings. Um, every time, I, every time I, so I give you that, if that's helpful for you to have a sort of picture, every time I read Bar Jesus or Elimus, as he's called later on, I just, he's that sort of character. He's sort of there. Um, he's, not, he's not the main guy, but he sort of has quite a lot of influence. You're not quite sure where it comes from or why, but there he is, okay? So he's a bit like Dominic Cummings. Anyway, the point is, he's not, this is not the sort of person you want in opposition. You're trying to do something new. You're trying to reach out. You don't really want this sort of guy against you because he's powerful. There's another, another main character, isn't there? Sergius Paulus. He is the proconsul. He's powerful, and we're told he's intelligent. He wants to hear the word of God. He's a sort of interested um, observer and um, seeker. He's not yet a believer, but he'd like to hear a little bit more. And he's willing to hear what God's word says. He's a bit like you, if, maybe if you're here this evening and you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, but you're keen to come along and to hear uh, a little bit more about the Christian faith. You're intrigued. You're willing to hear what God's words um, has to say. And that's a great thing. But if that is you, you may have discovered what Sergius Paulus discovers here, that not everyone thinks that's a good idea. Not everyone thinks that's what you should be doing. Verse 8. But Elimus the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Elimus, we're told, opposes Barnabas and Saul as they try and, and preach the gospel. We're not told why um, explicitly. Humanly speaking, I guess it could just be that the gospel threatens um, the good thing that this guy's got, his position of authority, his influence. It's not just, is it here, that, that he rejects the gospel himself. It's not just a personal rejection. It is an opposition. He doesn't want Sergius Paulus to hear the gospel either. He tries to turn him from the faith. He's a bit like the, the friend who hears that, you know, you've been coming along to church, and he says, that's, that's weird. 
Why would you do that? It's, it's a bit outdated, isn't it? I mean, it's all a load of nonsense, a load of superstition. Some people don't want us to hear the gospel. You often get that if, if you've been out with um, the, the gospel conversations team who um, head out to the park um, every few weeks. You often find that when you try to speak to a group of people about Jesus, maybe there's a little, you know, a little cluster of friends, it seems like maybe one person would be up for a conversation, but that their friend just sort of laughs it off and makes it clear that they're not interested and is almost sort of physically pulling their friend away. No, we, we don't have time. We're far too busy. That can happen. It happens on a, on a wider scale, doesn't it, too, in, in our society. It's not just those who don't want to hear the gospel themselves, but those who want to put a stop to others hearing. People who say things like, well, you shouldn't be allowed to speak about Jesus like that. Oh, that, that that's, that's offensive. It's actually harmful. People need to be protected from you and what you're saying. It's not surprising, is it? We should expect opposition. That is normal as the gospel goes out. What happens next um, is not exactly um, normal. Um, what Paul then says. And I think to help us understand that the strangeness of it, we've got to remember what, is, what a significant moment this is in the life of the church. See, the opposition that this guy is, is putting up, it threatens the whole new mission to the Gentiles. Taking the gospel out to the Gentiles could end right here. Barnabas and Saul could, could turn head back to Antioch and say, guys, we tried. We tried, but there was this guy. He had a lot of names. We couldn't quite work out who he was. And, and he didn't like it. And so we stopped. The danger is that the Christians are going to retreat into their little safe spaces where the, the audience is easier. Forget those, those pagan Gentiles. We'll just, we'll just stay here. Some people can come in if they're, if they're vaguely interested, but, but we'll not go out. See, see why this really matters? That the opposition that the gospel faces is, is dealt with. And I think that helps us understand what happens next. Because what happens next doesn't happen um, every time that the gospel is opposed. Verse 9. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? I don't know if you've ever said that to anyone. I'm, I'm, guessing, I'm guessing not, and I think there's a reason. Uh, you know, it, it is, it's strong, isn't it? But it's not that, that Paul's just flying off the handle here. We're told he's filled with the Holy Spirit as he says this. And he's telling this guy, look, you, your name's Bar-Jesus. You're supposed to be a son of salvation, but you're a child of the devil. You're not genuinely engaging with the gospel. You're full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. You're telling lies. You're perverting the right ways of the Lord. Maybe he's, he's using God's name, or he's using sort of religious-sounding language, and yet it's harming people. It's trying to stop people from hearing the gospel. And that cannot be allowed to happen. 
We've said all the way through Acts that that Paul and the other apostles, sometimes they're acting as as sort of model believers. They're examples for us to follow. And sometimes they're more than that. Sometimes they seem to be Jesus-like in their authority. And I think that is uh, what we have here. If you look at the, the words, it's very similar to rebukes that Jesus gives. And it comes with a certainty about what will happen that we just don't see other Christians having um, in the New Testament. It does seem to be a, a level of authority that comes with the fact that Paul is an apostle. So I'm not suggesting that this is a sort of model um, answer when, when, you, when you head to the park and someone's you know, not sure whether they want to listen. Don't do that. That, that, would, be, that would be bad. Verse, verse 11, look at what Paul says. Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not able, not even able to see the light of the sun. And immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. What, what is the point here? The point is, as this man who is opposing the gospel is made blind, we get a physical picture of what is true spiritually of him. Spiritually, he is blind to the truth. He cannot see the glory of the gospel. And not only that, but he's trying to lead others away from it. And so instead of being able to lead others away from it, he is left fumbling around in the darkness, needing someone to take him by the hand. The other time in Acts when someone is blinded for a short time is when Paul and becomes a Christian on the road to Damascus. God humbled Saul so that he would listen to the word of God. And here, he blinds Elimus so that others can hear the word of God. That's, that's the end of Elimus' story, at least as far as Luke records it. We don't know what happened to him next. Seems to be he was only blind for a short time. Is it that he later became Christian? We don't know. But as he's taken out of the picture, the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, is able to hear the gospel unhindered. And as I've said, it's, it's not that we're to expect this to happen every time. But we do need to remember that there is a spiritual reality, a spiritual battle as we seek to take the gospel out. Whether that is speaking to people in your office or in Wembley Park, sorry, or in Green Park um, at the coronation, we have to expect that there will be opposition to the gospel. Why? Because people are spiritually blind. The gospel offers life to anyone who would turn and trust in Jesus. It is a message that changes people's eternities. And so, of course, that message will be opposed. If nothing else, the reality that there is a spiritual battle going on every time we seek to share the gospel should drive us to pray, shouldn't it? We may not be about to declare that someone will be blind, but we can pray that God would silence the opposition that stands in the way of others hearing the gospel. That as we're in the park or wherever it is, that we're trying to seek to have a conversation about Jesus, that other things would not get in the way, would not distract and pull people away. 
And even where there is opposition, God is able to deal with it. That's the end, isn't it? Nothing will stop his word from going out. It will be opposed by those who are blind, but it will also be believed by those who see. Verse 12 of chapter 13. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Look, the, the, the blinding of, of this magician, it has a part to play in the proconsul coming to faith. But he believes because he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. It is the gospel that opens his eyes. It is the gospel that saves him. And the word of God is what has that power to open people's eyes to the truth. So the message of, of forgiveness of sins, of, of, of um, life through the death and resurrection of Jesus, it is the most powerful message in history. It brings sight to the blind. It brings dead people to life. It takes those who have lived their lives without reference to God and turns them to want to live for him. And we have to have confidence. If we're going to take the gospel out, we have to have confidence in that, even when sometimes it's met with opposition. Maybe most of the time it's met with opposition. That opposition cannot stop the gospel from going out. In fact, it may end up doing the opposite. Here, in some sense, is the opposition and the overcoming of that opposition that, that, that brings Sergius Paulus to faith, that gets him over the line, confirms the power of the gospel to overcome any argument or opposition. How do we see that? Well, I guess it's as simple as, as people being willing to engage in a conversation despite the fact that their friends think they're nuts to do so. We see it in, in people coming to believe the gospel in spite of our society saying that is a ridiculous thing to do in the 21st century. As people hear the word of God, some will believe. And so as we take the gospel out, whether that's in our offices, into the park, we should expect that some people will believe. So let me ask you, do you expect that? Do you believe that God can do that, that he will do that? Do you believe that God could use you as you invite a friend to church on a Sunday or as you head out into the park to talk to strangers? Do you believe that he could use you to get the word out, the word that has the power to open blind eyes? In God's sovereignty, you may be the person who enables someone else to hear the word of God, to see it and believe. He can do that even, even with you and me as the instruments. So let me encourage you, as we, as we think this month about taking the gospel out, let me encourage you to give it a go. Give it a go. Let's make the most of the opportunities that this, these next few weeks will bring, particularly here, given where God has placed us as a church family. Let's make the most of those opportunities to take the gospel out. Maybe in new ways, maybe in ways that, that make us scared or nervous that we wouldn't normally be used to. Let's take it out, knowing that yes, some will oppose, 
We've got to be ready for that. But some may, in God's sovereignty, some will, believe that it is God's word and find salvation and life in Christ. Let's pray that God would help us to do that. Father, how we praise you that the gospel does drive us out. We cannot be content just to stay where we are and uh, stay with the people that we've got who already believe. Father, the, the gospel always um, drives us out to try and share the gospel in new ways and with new people. Father, we, we, we know that your word tells us to expect opposition as we do that. But Father, it also tells us that some will believe Father, the power is all in your word, not in us, and yet use us. Father, give us confidence in that. Give us confidence that as we um, seek to take the gospel out today, tomorrow, uh, in the weeks to come, that we might go boldly, that we might share um, graciously with other people, that we might show them what your word says about who you are and all that you have done for us in Christ. And we pray that you give us a, a, a confidence that some will believe. We pray, uh, we, yeah, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.